Hello again, friends. This is Mike. You know, we've talked a lot about in this podcast, earlier podcasts, about the concept of manifestation. Thoughts become things that you can actually create your reality by thinking about specific things, and those things become your reality. And I used to think this was all pretty crazy out there stuff. In a lot of ways, I still don't understand how the heck it works, of course. But you're about to talk to a young lady. Her name is Chris Ashley. And as I interview her, you'll hear her talk about a couple cool things. One is she manifested her ideal partner. So if you've ever thought about manifesting your ideal husband or your ideal wife, uh, someone that you want to spend your life with, Chris has done that. Another thing she did is she's manifested her ideal home or her dream home. Both those stories are kind of cute, and you can listen to them as part of today's podcast, which we'll get started in just a minute. Hello again, friends and fellow truth seekers. This is Mike Nicholas with another episode of the Soul Unleashed podcast, where my goal is to help you with the questions you might have regarding the awakening of your soul, and particularly to help other left brain types like I am to ask the right questions in our search for a deeper meaning to life. And ultimately, I want to help you unleash your soul from limiting beliefs and smothering paradigms. So today's guest is Chris Ashley. She's a coach, author, and speaker, and Chris is going to share her inspiring story of her personal growth and transformation. I'm just going to mention a couple things that she will discuss in the interview, but I thought were very interesting. I've already mentioned the manifestation manifestation parts. Uh, Chris went through trauma early in her life, and that's what kind of caused her life to change and was the impetus for her, her awakening. Uh, she is a coach. She does believe, of course, in the law of attraction. Uh, she's a yoga teacher. She has her own yoga studio. And I asked her some questions about how that works, how yoga works and, you know, whether or not it's really from Satan, uh, the power of forgiveness. And we also talk a little bit about end of life and what that means to her and what happens when we die. Those cool things that I like to ask all of our different guests. So stand by and here comes Chris. All right. Welcome everybody to the Soul Unleashed podcast. I'm happy to have as my guest today, Chris Ashley. And Chris, I've been looking forward to interviewing you ever since we first spoke a few weeks ago. I'm excited to have you share with my audience who are mostly left brain types, pragmatic types that think a lot of what we are about to talk about is nonsense. But I'd like to start with explain to us, please, who you are and a little bit about your background. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I have also been really excited for our conversation. I loved talking to you initially, and I've been looking forward to this. Uh, so I am a coach. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I have a book called Change Your Mind to Change Your Reality. It's uh, out everywhere you can get your books. And I'm sure what I'm going to talk about, all of your left brain audience is going to think is a little bit woo woo, a little bit out there. But I really like to back up the spirituality with science. So hopefully we can we can reel a few of them our way by the end of the talk. That is perfect because I've always been kind of evidence based even before I started my spiritual awakening journey. So so tell us more about how you got into and doing what you're doing. Yeah, totally. So I'll give you my origin story. And it probably starts out the same way that a lot of your guest stories start out with uh, my own trauma. Because a lot of times it takes trauma to trigger that spiritual awakening or or just trigger the fact that something needs to change, right? 
So uh, for me, I was I was 12 years old and I had been sexually abused by a family member for four years. And I had this really big, tight-knit, extended Italian family. And when they found out what happened, many of them disowned me. And it was to the point where the family of my abuser would take mornings on holidays and my parents and I would take afternoons. And I had cousins who were really close to me that I was just one day no longer ever permitted to talk to again. And as you can imagine, it left me with all of these, what I call low vibration emotions like anger and guilt that as a young adolescent, I didn't know how to cope with. You know, most adults don't know how to cope with those types of emotions. Mm -hmm. And it it left me with severe PTSD. I was self-harming. I was getting in trouble in school. I was getting into drugs. I was just in a really dark place. And my my world completely flipped upside down when someone handed me a book one day. And it changed my way of thinking, my way of being, my way of moving through the world. It, what it did is it broadened my horizons outside of my own little tunnel that I was in my own little world and taught me that there was another way of perceiving reality that I hadn't even ever heard of. And I like to say that I felt like a sleeper agent, right? Something inside of me just woke up as I was turning those pages. And when I finished that book, I started reaching for more. And I just began devouring every metaphysical, spiritual, personal development, new age book that I could get my hands on. I started- How old were you when you read the first book? 17. So you suffered from age 12 when it became public for five years before you got, you read the book. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was in 2002. So a little bit over two decades ago now. And, uh, so, so yeah, so I started attending these workshops. I was finding all these teachers to study under and I was doing all these healing modalities and I didn't know it, but I was doing the hard inner work. To me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm stumbling upon all this hidden sacred knowledge that's this like shrouded mystery from the rest of the world. And it just felt really exciting. And my life really began to change. But the other side of that story is that as my life began to change for the better, my mother began to get worse because her family had been ripped down the seams. And she didn't have those healing modalities and those teachers and those books that I did. And it started to manifest as physical illness for her. She got very, very sick. She got cancer. She got hepatitis. She got a bunch of other pretty serious illnesses. But she also got really strange afflictions that her doctors at Northwestern Hospital couldn't even explain. Were these so afflictions they, related to, uh, forgive me for interrupting you, but no, it's okay. you're making me think of things. Were yeah. the afflictions that your mother was suffering related to the abuse that you suffered? Or was it something else she was going through? No, it was, it was her family being divided because of the abuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the stress just broke her and she didn't, like I was saying, she didn't, uh, she didn't deal with it and deal with it. It's kind of a weird way of saying it, but she didn't, she just kind of pushed it away. She never did any kind of work. She never talked to a therapist. There was just, she was so focused on helping me that she, she didn't help herself at all. So you were in your early 20s or so when she was going through this? Yeah. So it started when I was, she started getting sick when I was around 18. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so so doctors were just started prescribing her all these pills. And then they gave her pills for the side effects of those pills. She was on a fentanyl patch. 
And she just slept for all but a few hours of daylight. She would fall down all the time. She would nod off at the dinner table. We would have conversations every once in a while where I would just pour my heart out to her and she would receive everything I was saying in a beautiful way. And then the next day, she wouldn't even remember the conversation. Mm. And that lasted over 10 years, probably closer to 15. I was I was definitely in my 30s when she came out of what we call her coma. Um, you know, she was, she was awake, but she wasn't there. And I had this compounded guilt for a really long time that I had destroyed my family and broken my mother. But I like to say that because I believe that everything happens for a reason. Uh, I think it was my mother who was my biggest teacher because every step that I watched her take deeper into depression, into illness, I climbed in the other direction out of that tunnel because I saw firsthand what happens to a human body and spirit when they go down that path, right? When they fall into victim mode, when they, when they let those emotions consume them, when they don't do that work. And then I was seeing what was happening to my own life, my own body, my own spirit, as I changed my mind about the nature of reality, about the universe, about life, about how we are powerful beings. And I made a promise to myself that I have kept to this day that I would do everything I could to heal physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I would always prioritize my health. And to this day, I'm still geeking out. I'm still reading every book, uh, attending every seminar, studying under teachers. And I think the learning and growth is never over. And I think you and I share that mentality, right? That we're we're seekers of truth. But Chris, uh, did was there a father in the picture? There was, was your, a father in the picture, yeah. Was he able to help your mother at all? He took care of her for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, my dad, I, my dad just passed away in February of this year and he took care of her the whole time she was sick. So have you been able to use the modalities or the techniques that you've learned to help your mother? Is that what you've done? So one of the hardest lessons that I've had to learn in life is that you cannot force someone else to heal. And you are only responsible for your own healing because for a very, very long time, I tried to help my mother. And it, the more I tried to help her, the more, uh, you know, stressed our relationship would get. You know, I would read all of these amazing books, even things like on, on chronic pain or on health, you know, that weren't even spiritual. And I would send them to her. She lives in Chicago. I, I live in California. I would send them to her. And it was an act of love for me, right? It was a love language. I'm, I'm trying to help her because I had this guilt that it was my fault that she was like that. And she would get so offended when I sent her these books. Mm. She would, she took it as I knew better than her. I was trying to, I, I was trying to boss her around. I was trying to push my beliefs onto her. And actually, a big reason that I wrote my own book was for her. It's actually dedicated to her. Because she wouldn't read any of these other books, but I knew she would read a book that I wrote. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I wrote the book for many reasons, but a big part of it was for her. And she did read it. She's read it a few times. And she's actually started to implement some of the things in it. That there's a bunch of exercises in it. And, you know, she's still not a, not a healthy person, but she's off all of those medications. And, you know, you can have a coherent conversation with her now. And like I said, that really only happened maybe five years ago where she kind of snapped out of it and and it took her it took her almost 
dying and a, a doctor telling her, if you continue down this path, you're going to die soon to scare her into getting off all the drugs. So, so I, I probably interrupted your story and I apologize for that, but is there a point then that you started to, so you learned these, these things as, as your experience in learning grew at what point you decide to apply it to other people or to help other people? Yeah. Uh, only a few years ago, I, my life completely changed and, you know, the learning about all of this has always been my passion. It's, it's this purpose that drives me onward, this mission, but I never thought about it as a career until a few years ago now. And I decided, you know, I've, I've seen my life change so much and there's so many people out there who, who could use this knowledge and, you know, not everyone has the time or the willingness or even, uh, they, they don't even know it's accessible to go to all these teachers or to read all these books that I do, you know, and, and a lot of what I teach has just been gathered from all of these different corners of the earth over the past two decades. And so I, I'm like, well, I can synthesize this for people. So I, I decided it was time to give back and start to help other people. So I launched my coaching program. I, I took a, a life coach training first, and then I launched a coaching program. I took the best bits that I'd learned from my two decades of study and the best bits from the life coach training and created my own system. And I have no doubt that this is my purpose on earth to give this back and help other people. Can you share some of the, uh, obviously in the few minutes we have here in the interview, you're not going to teach anybody anything, but, but some of the things that, that listen, our listeners might think that are unusual or, what are some of the things that you do? Yeah, that's a good question. So <clears throat> I I, I kind of do twofold. So in my book, my book follows my coaching program. They they go hand in hand. So part of it is using the law of attraction and quantum physics to create the life that you want, right? To manifest the life that you want. So it's getting really clear on your vision. It's taking steps towards it. It's getting yourself in that elevated emotional state. So it's all of that. But I think just as important, if not more important, is clearing out all the things that block you from having that dream life. So it's things like subconscious programming, most of which happens before the age of seven, your belief system, the, the lens you look through the world to. Uh, and, you know, it's all about changing your perception, right? That's why my book is called Change Your Mind to Change Your Reality. Uh, it's also repressed emotions, right? It's uh, grudges, not forgiving people, because all of these things can can take over your your thoughts, your emotions. They can create pain. They can create disease. They can be this filter through which you view the world. And it's just going to make, it's going to seep into your manifesting. It's going to be what you project out onto the world. And it's going to be what you get back to you. So it's a lot of clearing out all of that junk, all of that poison. So then we have that open road before us, and then we can manifest all the great things. Were you a believer in the law of attraction or manifesting before you saw the secret? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had heard about it before I saw the secret. I, I love the secret because it brought the law of attraction to the masses. It brought it mainstream. And actually my book is endorsed by three people who were on the secret, Marcy Shimoff, Michael Beckwith and Bob Doyle, which was really cool. Um, but I think the secret falls a little bit short because in, in a lot of the ways that the law of attraction is taught nowadays is falls a little bit short because 
it comes across sometimes that the universe is just this genie in a bottle, right? Where you just tell what you want and you just like sit back, kick your feet up and it just falls into your lap. But there's a little bit more to it than that, right? You you have to get clear on your vision, but you also, also have to take steps towards it. And, and take steps doesn't mean you have to work hard necessarily. Like never underestimate the power of a small step. From one small step, the right people might be put on your path that can help you further along your journey, right? The right tools might appear to you. Doors might appear that didn't exist before and then open for you. And then the other part is really uh, feeling those elevated emotions, feeling what it would feel like to have that thing already. And that's why you hear people talk about gratitude. Gratitude is so important because if you can feel grateful for something that hasn't happened yet, you literally trick your brain into believing that it's already here. So there's a little bit more to it than just, you know, think positive or ask the universe for what you want. But I'm so grateful for for films like The Secret that have brought this into the collective consciousness. I kind of jumped into it, I guess, for my listeners that may not even know what The Secret is. I heard somebody refer Mm -hmm. to The Secret a couple of years ago, and I had no clue what it was until I went and watched it also. So it's a it's a short film, I guess, but it's, it's pretty amazing. Can you, though, explain to people that may be listening that don't know what the law of attraction is or what that even means just in, in, a, in a little bit of time? Yeah, totally. And The Secret, by the way, was um, it was a book first written by Rhonda Byrne. They made it into a film and it has some amazing people in it. And it's about the law of attraction. So the law of attraction in the simplest definition is a universal law that says what we focus on, we will attract into our lives. So if you focus on what you want rather than what you don't want, you'll get those things to you. Now, unfortunately, uh, psychologists estimate that 70 to 90% of people's thoughts are negative and repetitive. So most people focus on what they don't want. They focus on their fears, their doubts, their worries, their aches and pains. They, they focus on judging other people, on placing blame on other people. And the idea is that you're, you're getting yourself stuck in this loop, right? You're manifesting more things into your life that are going to make you feel that way. So it's, it's shifting your thinking so that you can use the universe to call this into your life. And I, I said, I like to back things up with science and I love quantum physics so much because it backs up so much of what spirituality and what mystics and teachers have been saying. And even ancient texts that go back a long ways. Uh, you know, quantum physics says that there is this quantum realm, this quantum field, and that every possible future, everything you can imagine and everything you can't, it all exists out there in a state of rest, just waiting for you to choose it. And so you choose it by using the law of attraction, right? By, uh, you know, I'm going to say vibrating at that frequency, which your listeners are probably going to be rolling their eyes, but it's about elevating your emotions to that, to that state. Because you can't create the life of your dreams from the life you're at now, from the vibration you're at now. But if you can choose that that new future, it can become yours. So, you know, quantum physics says that anything that you want, you can call into your life, which is a really empowering thought. People tend to get defensive sometimes, but you can be empowered instead by this. I've heard the phrase before, getting on a specific vibrational level to attract what it is that you want. How would you explain what that even means? Yeah, you know, uh, to me, it's about elevating your emotions. And 
I love Joe Dispenza's work. I don't know if you're familiar with him because he actually measures all of this in real time. He measures people's brain waves. He measures their heart and brain coherence and he measures, you know, their, all the chemicals in their body. But it's about putting yourself in a higher state, right? Because if you are stuck in fear and doubt and worry in all of these, what we call low vibration emotions, you're just going to, bring all that back to you. And the the biological explanation of it is that if you are, if you're thinking, let's say you went through something bad in your past, something traumatic in your past, nothing's good or bad, right? It's all subjective, but something traumatic in your past. And you start thinking about that thing. Well, every time you have a thought about it, you start having an emotion that's equal to that thought. So you're feeling the same way that you felt in the past. And then if you're feeling that way, it makes you think that way. So you get caught in this loop, right? You're thinking about it and you're feeling that way and you're feeling that way and you're thinking about it. And if this goes on long enough, your brain doesn't know the difference between that event actually happening and you just thinking about it as a memory. So your body starts to produce the same chemical reactions as if you were going through that event. So the same cortisol gets released, the same adrenaline gets released. You can actually make yourself really sick just from a thought alone. Now, uh, the I just totally lost my train of thought for a second. Um, oh, so so this puts your this can put your brain into what we call incoherence, which I was just talking about. Joe Dispenza talks about mm-hmm. this. So incoherence is when certain groups of neurons stop communicating with other groups of neurons, and you can see it on brain imaging scans. So you can think about it as a bunch of different drummers all playing different rhythms at the same time. It's just, it's chaos, it's disorder. And when your brain is in incoherence from all of those stress chemicals, from you thinking about that past event and feeling that past event, then it sends this same chaotic, disorderly signal down your central nervous system. And then your central nervous system sends that same kind of signal to your respiratory system, your endocrine system, your immune system. And you literally can make yourself sick just from a thought alone. And that's why things like the placebo effect are so powerful because you can heal yourself, but there's also the nocebo effect, the opposite, where you can make yourself so sick just from your own beliefs. That is uh, awesome and a wonderful example or description of of, uh, manifestation or the law of attraction. I assume you're familiar with Abraham Hicks and... uh, and how she explains or he explains whoever Abraham Hicks is, uh, how, how it all works. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I haven't read, um, any of Esther or Jerry Hicks books yet, but I've, I've watched a ton of videos and I follow on social media and yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let me, let me switch track just for a second. Cause you do yoga too, right? Yeah. I own a yoga company as well. Okay. So, which is awesome. Have you ever had run across people that have, conflated yoga with some type of uh evil or uh shamanistic type practice that's a funny question i i have in a way so part of what my company does so we're called unite by yoga and we have online classes and then some in-person classes here locally and a bunch of pre-recorded on our website so part of what we were doing during the pandemic because we were born out of the pandemic was reaching out to companies and offering to be their a wellness benefit for their employees, right? They could pay a certain monthly uh, amount and then their employees would get unlimited access. And 
there was one company where a a lot of the people were very Christian mm-hmm. and a lot of the employees weren't comfortable practicing yoga because to them it felt like witchcraft or like its own religion. And I, and I understand it because, you know, the physical, what we call the asana, which are the poses is one of eight limbs of yoga, right? So there is, there is, I don't want to say a religion behind it, but there is this whole philosophy behind it. So to, to those people at that specific company, it was very, uh, taboo. They felt like they were going against their own religion. And that was the, fir- the first and only time I've ever encountered that. And I was really surprised, but I also live in the Bay Area of California. <laughs> it's like a yoga studio <laughs> in every corner. Everyone's like eating avocados. So yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I have had or read about people that question yoga exactly from that perspective. Uh, not to pick on Christians per se, but because yoga is associated with mysticism or Hinduism or, or Eastern religion types, then it's, uh, it's often perceived as being anti or unchristian, I guess is probably one way to put it. Just wondering if you'd seen that. Let me ask you another question. Uh, you, I saw on your website where you mentioned that you had manifested your husband. So what's that story? Yeah, that's, that's fun. Uh, no one's asked me that on a podcast interview yet. So, so I had recently moved to California with an ex and we had been together for four years and we had just recently broken up. I didn't really know anyone out here. And I, I started making a list of everything that I wanted in the man of my dreams. And I made it in the notes app on my phone. So it was always with me and it was, it was big things like honesty and loyalty to, you know, maybe smaller things, still big things, but smaller things like, you know, likes the same music as me and as, as big of an animal lover as I am and all these things. And I read it morning, noon, and night. And I had it there with me always. I was adding to it whenever new things came up. And then two weeks later, I <laughs> I joined Match.com. This was in 2010 before the apps. And to this day, I cannot tell you what made me join Match.com. This was divine intervention or something because I had never, ever considered online dating. I was just kind of bored and lonely one night, but the, the thing that that had never appealed to me. But for whatever reason, I, I filled out a profile and what it does is it teases you with your top like five matches and it gives you a little paragraph about them in one photo. And my top match on there was this cute guy named Shane. And I was like, well, if there's guys like that on there, I'll pay the 30 bucks or whatever it is for a month. And so I, I did and I joined it and I messaged him. He was the only person I talked to on there and he was everything on the list. And we ended up talking for a couple of weeks, meeting up. He was still everything on the list and we're together to this day. And, and I, and I told two of my really close friends what happened and then they did it and they met their husbands weeks later too. So it's all about getting clear on your vision and taking action. So how long, you said it was two weeks after you decided to put this all down. So it took you two weeks to manifest the the man of your dreams, so to speak. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And I wasn't even trying to get in another relationship or anything. I was just newly single. I just, I was like, well, I know that that's not what I wanted, right? What I just got out of. So let me, let me get clear on what it is I do want for next time. And it, there he was. Do you have any other manifesting type stories? I do. So, uh, 
I, so Shane and I really wanted to design our own house. That was, that was something that we've always wanted to do. And we, we live in the Bay Area of California where land is very expensive, but I, I had this in my head. I was like, I want to design my own house. I want to live on a couple acres with rolling green hills and all these rescue animals. I love animals so much. I want cows and donkeys and chickens and horses and all the things. And so I knew that I needed to take a step in the direction of my dream life. So for me, I was like, oh, well, one thing I can do is start looking at vacant lots. I can look at properties. And I love real estate. Shane loves real real estate. It was just fun for us. So we started looking at properties. But we live in the Bay Area of California and, and it's expensive out here. So a lot of these properties wanted like a million dollars just for land. And in order to, you know, get a property and build, we would have to sell our house. So we, we couldn't afford to do that with spending a million dollars just on land, but I trusted and I knew that it would happen. And I knew that I just had to keep taking steps. So we kept looking at properties. And then one day, uh, a family member of Shane's reached out and asked if we wanted to have lunch. And we said, yeah, sure. But we're going to look, we have an appointment to look at this property. And they asked if they could tag along. They're like, oh, that's fun for us too. Can we come? So we met them at the property. It, it wasn't great, but they were looking around and they were like, you know, what we have is so much better than this. Why don't we just give you a part of our acreage and you can build your house there? And we were like, what? <laughs> and, you know, we had been to their house a couple of times. They lived on this horse ranch with, it backs up to 300,000 acres of open space with trails. And, but I couldn't like picture where in their property they were talking about. So we went to see it the next weekend. And the part that they were offering us was way on the other side of from theirs. Like you couldn't see that the two houses wouldn't see each other. There was a lot of, pro, a lot of privacy. We would get a couple acres where we could have all the farm animals we wanted. And because they were family, they were willing to give it to us for really cheap. And it was, it was amazing. It was the rolling hills and the big tree, the old growth trees and all the things. And so part of the process that we had to go through in order to subdivide was we had to work with an architect and a civil engineer. So we got to work with this architect and, and map out the house of our dreams. And it just became so real. I always think about Mary Poppins, you know, when she jumps into the picture and it just becomes this real life thing. They're like on the, the horse merry-go-round. Yes, right. it, it was like that. It was like we stepped into this painting and we would go to the site all the time and be like, this is where we're going to sit and have our morning coffee. And that's going to be the view from the primary bedroom. And that's where our future kids are going to play. And And we just started referring to it as our new house in casual conversation. We we're just willing it into being. And then... The week before we submitted our materials to the city, because, you know, this all takes a long time to do. The week before, both the state of California and that particular city passed laws that would make it so much easier to subdivide and you wouldn't have to jump through all these different hoops. And it was just amazing. It was like one last little like gift from the universe (laughs) and uh, everything got approved and it's all in the works now. So that was that was probably the most exciting the biggest thing. And in my book, I talk about it in the, the section of the, the book is called the milkshake in the house. And it's because oftentimes I have my clients start out by manifesting a milkshake, just something small, right? Mm-hmm. 
But there is no difference between manifesting a milkshake and manifesting a house, right? The only, the only difference is in our own minds, our own doubts, our own ego saying that's too big, right? That's way too expensive of an ask, but it's all energy. Everything in our universe is made of energy. So you can manifest yourself a house. That is amazing. The, the milkshake story is kind of funny. I can't remember who it was. I was just recently reading, but she recommends that you just manifest a cup of coffee. Huh. Uh, oh, it was a young lady that I interviewed. I'm sorry, uh, Jackie Hilbrick. She's a psychic, but she uh, she also is a strong believer in the law of attraction. And she has her folks, she's a coach also, <clears throat> manifest a cup of coffee initially. And she said when she first started doing that, she wound up getting free coffee at Starbucks for a week, whatever it was she <laughs> wanted. So, so that's why she does that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, same kind of principle. Just something small and tangible that you can hold and imagine tasting and That's imagine awesome. how it would make you feel. So, Chris, what haven't we covered? What else would you like to include? We haven't covered a lot. Um, you know, I'm just looking at all my notes. You know, one one thing that I do teach a lot about is forgiveness. And we haven't also really covered, you know, our belief systems and, and our unconscious programming, all those things I was talking about that you need to remove those blocks. But I think forgiveness is a really, really big one. So Um, how do you, how do you teach that? Yeah, totally. So I, I start off with a teaching story. I'd love to share it. So, and I love this metaphor. So imagine that you are sitting in your house. And all of a sudden, you hear this meowing coming from outside. And you go outside to investigate. And way in the corner of your yard, you see this scrawny black and white cat. And you think, I love kitties. I'm going to go pet that kitty. So you go over to pet the kitty. And right when you get to it, it arches its back and it hisses and it swats at you. And what does your mind say? That's a mean kitty. That's an evil kitty. That cat's kind of an asshole. But if you stay... And you really allow yourself to see that cat, you might notice that its back leg is bleeding. And your mind starts to go, okay, this animal is injured. And then if you keep staying and you keep allowing yourself to see that cat, you might hear tiny little mews. And if you peek over it, you might see four tiny black and white kittens behind it with their eyes still closed. And suddenly your perspective shifts from uh, one of judgment to one of empathy, compassion, concern. And you can do the same thing with the people in your lives because, you know, so often when people lash out at us, it is, they are coming from a place of their own pain and their own fear. Now, oftentimes we tend to turn the people who we perceive to have done us wrong into monsters because it is easier for us to hate them that way. So we run everything that they say and do through this imaginary filter. And we, we only see this evil side of them. But if you can flip your perspective and turn these monsters into other beings you appreciate, into teachers, then it will completely change your life. Because when someone is your teacher, you are always growing. Now, there are two ways to turn a monster into a teacher. The first is to recognize positive attributes they have. You know, what are some ways they've been kind to you? What are some ways they've helped you? What are some things about them that you admire? There's there's probably something you admire and they're not this purely evil entity that your lack of forgiveness wants you to believe, right? 
And everyone has different sides to them. So what about the people who love them? What side of them do they see? What good have they done for the world? Now, if you run through all that and you're like, nope, this person is is pure evil incarnated. They're worse than Satan. They're worse than Hitler. That no one in their life likes them. Okay, there's a second way to turn a monster into a teacher. And that is to recognize ways that they've helped you grow. Because we all have soul contracts with each other. And chances are they've done something to help you grow. Or you would grow if you could just get over your hate, right? Or let go of your hate. So maybe they've helped you realize how you don't want to treat people. Maybe they've helped you establish firmer boundaries. Maybe they've helped you step into your own power in some way. But if you can really flip your perspective, and that's kind of the central thesis of my book, it's go through all these different life things and just looking at things from another perspective, it will completely change the life that you're living. So I think forgiveness is so powerful because there's that Buddhist quote, right? Holding on to anger is like holding on to a hot coal with the intention of throwing at someone else. You're the one who gets burned. So when you're holding on to all of that junk, it's it's only harming you. And if you're listening to this right now, rolling your eyes, thinking what so-and-so did to me is unforgivable, no, it's not. Everything is forgivable because forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. And, you know, this isn't about excusing anyone's behaviors. It's about allowing you to let go of all of that so that you can heal and flourish. So that's that's a big thing that I teach, too. That's uh, That's wonderful. I'm definitely not a cat person, so I had trouble relating at the beginning, but. <laughs> Are you a dog person? I'm a dog person. Okay. Yeah. Well, just imagine it with puppies. That's exactly what I did. So. <laughs> I've got, That's... I've got one of each running around. I'm surprised they haven't been playing in the background yet. Very good. Okay. How, how do people find you? Um, I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes. Uh, I don't know how long we've been talking, honestly, because I can't tell. <clears throat> But uh, we had a we had a rough start too. <laughs> but I generally try to keep it about uh, 20, 25, 30 minutes. I, I think we're probably about that. But can you can you tell me how we find you? And um obviously you have a book. So any 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 offers that you have, and I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I do have an offer. Uh so my, again, my book is Change Your Mind to Change Your Reality. But if you go purchase it at this special website then you can get the course that goes hand in hand with it for free. So the URL is kind of long. I know you said you'll put it in the show notes, but it's change your mind to change your reality.com slash order book. And you can still choose your favorite bookstore to order from. You can still get it in audio paperback or ebook, but just make sure and order through that URL to get the course. And then uh, to follow me on social media, my handle is change your mind with Chris. Chris has a K. So I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, I'm all over. My website is chrisashley.net and I think I think that's it. How, how do uh, they how do they engage you as a coach? Yes, yeah, so you can go to chrisashley.net. You can also if you find me on on uh social media, there's links on there as well. So I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, pretty easy to find. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, it was change your mind to change your reality.com slash order book. Slash That's order how book. you get the special offer. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put that where they can find it in the, in the so show much. notes. Thanks for letting me plug myself for a moment there. Of course. Of course. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. And, uh, I, I do still need to read your book, but I want to read your book, especially now, even more so 
having uh having spoken to you. I think we're oh I don't want to ask you real quick. Yeah. I think we're on the same wavelength with a lot of things, but what what is your concept of the term's called eschatology, but what happens when we die, what happens to our soul? You've already mentioned something really interesting about the quantum field and everything that can happen has already happened and and uh that's a whole different podcast, but I love it. But what's your concept about that end of life business? Yeah, I love that question. And it's, it's funny. I was just thinking like, wow, we didn't even get into the woo woo stuff for my book yet. <laughs> we just got into all the hard science, which is probably great for your audience. Um, but I talk about this all in my book too. So I believe that earth is a school and it's one of many schools and we are here to learn lessons. We're here to have experiences as humans. We're here to learn how to use the law of attraction. And then when we graduate this school, we go on to the next in, in another dimension and another planet as another being and so on. I, I very much believe in reincarnation. I think we all come from source. And I think my, my belief is that source split off into trillions of souls and sent them out into the worlds to have experiences. So we go through these schools and we're climbing that ladder back to source so that we can bring all of that knowledge back with us. And, you know, sometimes we, we live many, many, many lives as a human. Sometimes we just have one life as a human, but in between each lifetime, we meet with our soul guides. We review how we did. We plan out what we're going to do in our next life. And we get to choose, we get to choose a lot of the circumstances of our life because it gives us the opportunity to grow. It kind of readies the soil, plants the seeds. So I I like to think of it like we've been dropped into this video game world, right? We get to choose our avatar, what we look like, who our parents are, where we're going to be born. We get to create optimal health. We get to create our dream career. We get to do all these things. So I think that big life circumstances are also part of what's chosen before we incarnate. Like the, the trauma that I had to go through, right? Because it gave me that opportunity to grow and to level up and to awaken. And you always have a choice, by the way, when something traumatic happens, you can either choose to go more deeper into illusion and take the path that my mother did right into depression, into illness, into victimization, or you can choose to use it as a launch pad for growth. Right. You can choose to use it to level up even more, to awaken, to become more conscious. And, and, and yeah, I think we, we have soul contracts with each other. That's part of the forgiveness aspect that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that we consider to be villains in our lifetime are actually our best friends on the other side of the veil. And they have agreed. Soul groups or whatever, obviously. You believe in soul groups. Soul family too. Totally. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but uh, but so yeah, so a lot of these villains are really good friends on the other side of the veil, and they love us so much that they've agreed to play this this part in our lifetime to give us the opportunity to grow, even though they know we're going to be angry at them. And then when we're on the other side of the veil, the actors take their masks off and they give you a big hug and they tell you how proud of you they are. So you know, I think nothing that happens here can hurt our true self. Let me ask you one other question because I don't, I know you don't know the answer to this. I don't either, but trillions of souls. Yeah. Have they all been created or do souls continue to be created? I don't know. 
That I don't know. I wonder about that too, because people refer to old souls Hmm. and I wonder how one becomes an old soul versus a new soul. I think, I think when people talk about old souls, it's they've lived a lot more lifetimes. So maybe they're just coming out. Maybe they start over again. I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I love Dolores Cannon's work. Are you familiar with her at all? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of her stuff is really, was really inspired me. And, um, it, for the listeners who don't know who she is, she was a past life regression hypnotist. She actually was just a regular hypnotist who helped people quit smoking and lose weight. And then one day she accidentally regressed someone into a past life and she developed a method for doing this. And she wrote 19 books that are just chronicling her sessions. They're the transcribed recordings of her sessions. And she has an amazing one called Between Death and Life. It's my favorite one. Have you read that one? I have. Yeah. And I think we talked about past life regression. They're certified, right? Q. QHHT. Yeah. QHHT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the person that you recommended, of course, is in your area. I think I'm going to find somebody in my area, but yeah. yes, I do want to go through that experience. You should. Yeah. It, it's what is it like QHHT official. You can find the practitioner yeah. near you. Yeah. I've gotten two regressions and they both were completely life-changing. Just amazing. Awesome. And healing. Yeah. We do another podcast about that in the future. I was going to say, there's so much more I could talk to you about. I feel like <laughs> we need to do more. <laughs> we will do that. We will do that. But I'll, I'll end this one for now. Sounds good. But uh, Chris, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me and and for all my listeners. I'm sure they really appreciate what you had to say. And I'm anxious to uh, to get it out there. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you very much again, friends, for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Ashley. It was a lot of fun to do. I'm looking forward to having my own personal session with Chris, and I'll report on that a little bit later. Just as a reminder, as I mentioned during the interview, all of the links and places where you can find Chris will be in the show notes, both for the video version, which I post on YouTube podcasts. And it's kind of cool to actually see Chris and, you know, as she's talking and everything. And, also, and then the audio version that I post on wherever you find your audio podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever. But I'll have the links to her there also. And finally, as I always ask, if you just do me a favor and hit the subscribe button wherever you download this podcast. That way you'll never miss an episode. And even more importantly, if you can leave a review, that would be really cool. Because it really helps people find us, find the episodes. And I'm looking for those type of things. People that other seekers such as yourself find this podcast more easily and to expand the reach of the podcast so thanks again looking forward to talking to you again next week when i do uh, one of my little more personal podcasts on tuesday thank you bye-bye